This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Cause we're gonna be So we're going to get things started. The way we're going to do this is, once again, we're having a panel mentality. It's about looking at the continuum of thought, everybody's perspectives, and just having a good time. So I'm going to look to you, Gary. Okay. (laughs) What AI technology interests you most moving forward in the next three years? What AI um, or technology doesn't have? Yeah, to no, I get it. I mean, uh, I think about AI a lot. I mean, I think, I think what I'm most interested in is that there's an enormous amount of things that humans do that is really dumb, shit, right? And so, what excites me about AI is I think people get hyperbolized into, oh my God, people are going to lose jobs and all these things. And for me. I think that people are gonna be able to focus on far more interesting uh, behaviors because things are gonna be eliminated. We were told that tractors were gonna eliminate jobs for farmers and that this was gonna be devastating. So for me, at its beginning, just because I grew up as a merchant, the amount of things that are happening in customer service that are being used by an enormous amount of people that the same question is being asked over and over, the elimination of simple questions that information is at the fingertip, especially when layered on top of a voice device like an Alexa or Google Home has, has me extremely excited. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm gonna go down to this side. So I'm gonna uh, go touch upon, so Alexa, Google Home and personal AI is what I'm really excited about. I actually um, invested a couple of years ago in um, like an Indiegogo type of personal robot. I got to meet him this year, Buddy, at CES. It was really exciting. So cool. Um, and I, I've spoken to uh, Sophia the robot. I really look at that as definitely the future, being able to interact with AI and having them in our lives on a daily basis more than just uh, Google Home and uh, Alexa and Siri. But I liked for them to become you know, my personal assistant, um, do all the things that I don't want to do and make my life a lot easier. So I look really forward to that happening. So Neil, who wins and who loses with this technology? Uh, That's a good question. Um, I think, simply put, those who are prepared and are ready for what's coming, or at least understand or aware of what's coming, will probably win. And those that don't, unfortunately, won't. I read a report saying that just like self-driving cars or vehicles, the net jobs lost worldwide will be about 60 million, right? And it's not just the taxi drivers, the truck drivers losing their jobs. It's the ecosystem around them, right? You don't have to make as many cars. You don't need as many suppliers. The, the truck stops, the diners, the motels that support those guys will all go away. The question becomes is what do we do with those people? Some people we can probably retrain, upskill, for those jobs of tomorrow, which is probably six to eight years out, and some people we can't. And you can't tell someone that's like in their mid-40s, married with some kids that, hey, guess what, you need to go back to school for six years. So we need to try and figure out what is the right thing to try and do for these people. And Common, how does this impact our kids and future generations? Well, information is very important, but something that- Gary said that I thought was uh, 
it was something about how I felt about AI when I learned that AI was helping a lot of farmers when it comes to their crops mm -hmm. to, to, you know, to really predict because we've been having issues with food and they were saying like, you know, by the year 2060, food was just going to be all messed up. But our, our farmers um, are getting a lot of information from AI, which, you know, has a chance to, to feed not only our kids, but feed us in a, in a healthy way. And uh, I think it's important that we just continue to educate and give as much information about it so that our our kids, because we got kids out there that are brilliant, and now it's just about exposing them to that. So um, I think that's how AI is helping. I mean, and we've seen it help kids who, like I said, who have issues with, with sight, kids who've ha had disabilities. Um, it's helped kids with education. Incredible. Excuse me? Incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. And, um, and it also... Um, they, they've been using it to, di to detect when they think kids um, might be looking to drop out of school and, and hopefully come up with ideas that will keep them in school. So I think that's another way it can benefit our youth. But um, I feel, you know, we have the ability for it to benefit not only our youth, but us as adults too. I, I'd love to just build on, and I just, I just think this is such a fascinating conversation on the winners and losers. Yeah. We're now three years into this conversation where people realize certain people are gonna lose jobs. It's gonna be another five to seven to nine to 12 years when this starts hitting scale. I struggle, not that I'm right or wrong, I struggle that if you're a truck driver and you know autonomous trucks are coming and you have a 12 year head start to address your vulnerability, it's hard for me to muster up super big tears for that guy or gal losing their job when they have a 12 year head start that this thing's going away and I think that a lot of us are having these conversations rightfully so because we have a lot of compassion that these things are going to happen but at some level there's a very interesting line about accountability when this is facing you I mean I don't feel bad for Toys R Us going out of business nobody cried for the bookstores when they saw Amazon was coming to get them and so I think that there's a very important conversation that this is going to take a while but when we get to that moment, where does accountability in but, this knowledge? But that's why what Gary is saying is, is true, but at this, and, and along with that, that's why people need to be exposed and get the information so the accountability can be like, yo, you knew about this. You knew about this, so you, you, sh you could have done something. But everybody needs a fair shake. It's America. Yeah. We want everybody to get a fair shake. We know that's not yes. what's been happening, but everybody deserves and that. To your, and to your point, that's what gets me so excited about this. Yeah, yeah. And my big thing is you could live in Instagram Explore for nine hours yeah. or you can get your Google game up. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, that's what's so powerful about this. Yes. You know, whether it's immigrants or minorities or female, like what, what you think about the scale of technology, its ability to potentially level a playing field is so remarkably powerful. Yeah. If I could just comment on that, I think those are both really great points and I think that's the question we're struggling with as a global society because we're reaching an inflection point now of we can do great things, right? Are we going to rise to the challenge, learn, do more complex work, higher value work, be more creative, or are we going to go the route of infotainment and watch YouTube videos, watch Game of Thrones and other things? And right now, I don't know which way we'll break as a society. But, Go ahead. But I was, 
But I'm looking at the future of work, and I think the future is like our data is what will allow us to earn income. So we're, and also uh, universal basic income. I think about those things all the time. Where if AI is taking over all the jobs, then we have to think of other ways to earn income. And of course, infotainment is definitely one of them. But just basically, our own data. Right now, I use Sweatcoin. I earn $600 a month just by walking. That's it. So guys, I can tell you <laughs> all seem a little bit bashful. Can Gary, I, you got more to jump in? I, ju I just think this is interesting. I think history can help us so much. You know, Game of Thrones or listening to music or watching a video of somebody, escapism has always been such a foundational part of us. The fact that the circus was the leading place that people spent money on during the Great Depression blows my head off. Like people, people don't have food and the circus is dominating. Why? Because life was super hard yeah. and getting those two or three hours, I'm sure, you know, when I listen to an album, it's like that's escapism, that's for me to balance. It's a very interesting human trait yeah. that we, you know, are, are thinking about and I just, I just think it's a remarkable time. So just to kind of bring this together, to balance the two of you and bring this panel together, when we're going to the humanism view of this, once we've equaled the playing field, if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. Right. And we're all accountable for it, whatever we do yeah, next. True. All right. Guys, I want to go off script, so I want to kind of play on what you guys were talking about and bring you guys in, and you all seem very comfortable, so bear with me. <laughs> okay. There's this common misconception. We talk about artificial intelligence, right? It's an amalgamation of technologies, computer vision, NLP, voice recognition, data processing in the cloud, storage in the cloud, many, many other things, robotics. And this idea that it's going to be part of this fourth industrial revolution, where we're going to disintermediate everything and put everybody out of work, is often misconceived. Right? Because some people would say that the jobs that are going to go to the first are the highest paid, repetitive, and highly objective jobs. Arguably, radiologists are more at risk than a truck driver. So I want to kind of go through that and ask your opinion on what jobs you actually think change and what sort of opportunities does that open up for us. Common, are you okay if I start with you? Well, yeah, you can start with me. I know one thing that a job you won't lose if you're a good artist. People ain't going that's facts. What, what job you will not lose if you're an artist. And then, I mean, I also think, you know, it's, as Gary was alluding to, certain forms of entertainment and things that we enjoy, you're just not going to lose that job. Like, I mean, I still want to see LeBron James, you know, like, simple as that. Like, yeah. You can't replace that. You can't replace that. And you can't replace... Frank Ocean, you know. Um, you can't replace Common. Yeah, it's right. It's right. <laughs> I mean, I know they got the, what, what do they got? The, um, you know, the thing they did with Tupac and all those. but Holograms? Holograms, mm. but it's nothing like having the real thing. Yeah, yeah. All right, man, thank you. Gary, let's bring it your way and I'll walk it down, guys. Look, I think, I mean, you nailed it. Anything that's repetitive and done, you know, on the back of, you know, technology or, you know, is going to be fundamentally vulnerable. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's funny, same thing with the internet. I remember when the internet start, like started becoming real and people actually had AOL, yeah. I remember thinking with, with Amazon, hey, bookstores, it's your turn, right? And then Uber came along and it was taxi cabs, it's your turn. Uh, you know, to me, everybody's gonna have a turn outside of, that, that is black and white. I think what 
Haman's referring to, in, which is so powerful about art, is that it's gray, right? Yes. But I think anything that is black and white is remarkably vulnerable. There's so many things that are done yeah. by people that are typing away at a computer that are cle- a human typing away at a computer to create an action for another human is 100% vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Fu, what about you? I look at this as an opportunity for all of us to become polymaths, Renaissance men and women, to be the, the day of being specialized in a skill. That's not happening anymore, you know, right? Absolutely. So, like, common, you're an artist, but now you're also doing tech stuff. I used to do so many different things before I did this. I was a behavioral therapist. I had a, I had a VR company, an AR company, a blockchain company. I'm a VC. So many things. I look at this as a real opportunity for us to learn so many different things and let, let the AI take all the repetitive jobs. They should. I don't think there should be any more slave labor. This is an opportunity. Like, I, I was just in China for the last month, and there's no recycling where I was because they have humans to re- separate all the recycling. Well, for that country, for those people to really thrive, they can start thinking about more things than just surviving when the AI can take over. And because of that little smartphone, they can all look at becoming infotainers themselves and earn on their entertainment and their data. So that's really exciting. Uh, I agree. That's great. So Neil, I want to close with you on this one. You, you are a, you're very modest, but you are a master inventor. You are a master prognosticator. What, what do you see happening here? I, I want to start by just trying to sum it up that machines are about productivity and people are about creativity, mm. right? There are things that machines do better than people, mm-hmm. but there are things that people do much better than machines, and we have to keep that in mind. And I think what's going on today is people are surprised by some of the things that machines are good at. People say, well, okay, driving a taxi or a bus, that's one thing, but how can an AI do something a lawyer could do? But if you think about some of the tasks that you know, lawyers do coming out of law school, they're very productive type of tasks. And the goal is not to, we're gonna replace all those guys with that, but we're gonna free their time up to do more complex work, more creative type of work. And maybe that's case strategy, maybe that's more engagement and understanding the client and what's going on. I think what we really have to deal with, again, as a society is understanding how our work, how our lives, are going to be transformed by this. What can we do that's more, that's more creative? And I I don't think this is a unique challenge for us. You know, technology has always been there and reshaping our lives. I think it's that the changes are coming faster and faster. And I think that's what people are struggling with is the stuff we're talking about is not 20 years away. In some cases, it's not even five years away. It's already here. What do we do? So this shift that we're talking about uh, opens up a subject. And this is a unique panel because we can go from deep tech to diversity and culture. And so I want to hand this one off to Denise because obviously yeah. this cues you up beautifully for the next question on what this means. Absolutely. So at the end of the day, guys, um, the tech industry has taken a lot of fire for not being diverse, especially at the top echelons. Mm-hmm. So why is diversity important? What does it mean to the future? And what opportunities does it bring? Can I start with this? This this is something I'm super passionate about. I started the Women in Blockchain Foundation to address this specifically. I was tired of being the only woman at the table in every tech company and every meeting. And yes, women, join. Join the blockchain. Uh, (laughs) Womeninblockchainfoundation.org. Join a Telegram channel. But it's, it's, it's really important for us to be diverse because if you 
if you think about it on a technological layer, if you look at blockchain, um, di um, having uh, nodes all around the world uh, in every corner of the universe, well, if it's in every corner of the universe, it's going to take everyone in every corner of the universe to be put in this. And that has to be more than just, you know, a white guy in his mom's ba basement. <laughs> you know? Not that I don't love white guys, I love white guys, but it has to be every single one of us. And if we're talking about the new uh, era of wealth creation, it has to include all of us. Because in the dot-com era, it was mainly men. It's like 90% men were able to gain from this. Well, here's an opportunity. I myself have been able to gain from this and I want everyone else to come with me and join this revolution. So yes. I'm so passionate about it. So yes, diversity is very important. Everyone needs to come on board and educate yourselves. Do whatever it takes. You know, look at every YouTube channel, follow Gary and everything he's teaching. <laughs> <laughs> um, listen to music. You know, there's so much out there. Just do what it takes and get everyone to join you. <laughs> well yeah. said, Fu. Well said. Yeah. And I, you know, um, I mean, this is the world, man. Everybody has something to offer. Like, it's just, we just all have something to give to this world. And, and Jeff brought up something when I was talking back there, like, that I, a community that I didn't acknowledge was the Native American, the First Nation brothers and sisters who I saw at, at one point actually getting in tune with some AI technology too um, through something I was doing with Microsoft. And it was like, man, so many gifts have been given to the world from different cultures and, and from women and men and from people from, from Africa to, to India to, you know, to the United States. And they come from so many different backgrounds. So it's, it's important that we, that we get to use use our technology and have diversity but it's also one of the things that's important that that we educate first so the people that are the people that we're asking to step up into these jobs are prepared and have what 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 gary said the accountability to do it but then we also have to recognize some of these companies the people the the, the higher ups have to be diverse too. Like we have to have diverse people in the boardrooms making decisions or it's just like, or it's just basically like what we've been seeing in our country for so many years. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to make it diverse. We're going to make, you know, bring more people of color in, but are they making any decisions? Are they getting any opportunities to be a part of some of the significant change that's get coming from up top? And that's where I think diversity is going to have to start from the education and up in the top. There's so many levels to get to diversity, yes. to be honest. Yes. Yeah. You know, I, I think you this come is- from a, a family of immigrants, right? Yeah, I was born in Belarus in the former Soviet Union. T to me, it's, it's, a, it's a very important subject because take out the, first of all, it's human. If you're not a human that believes in it, you're, you're unbelievably vulnerable and, and unbelievably in a defensive, negative place. But take that away. Mm -hmm. Let's just make it raw about business and like make it about what people tend to make it about. Perspective and context are strengths, not weaknesses. To only, it's almost like if we were talking, what if we talked about food? You know how it would be to just eat Italian food? <laughs> you know, and Italian food's rad, but it would make no sense. And so for me, I'm fascinated by companies that all look the same, all the decision makers look the same. To me, very honestly, 
especially in the environment we now live in today, and I don't mean the political environment, I mean just where the evolution of technology and opportunities are, it's a vulnerability, it's laughable to not take context from all walks of life, from different angles. I'll, I'll tell you one that I'm unbelievably fascinated about that is not talked enough about in technology. Tech, you know, we talk, uh, thank God we're talking so much about brown and black and minorities and females, but we don't talk about ageism at all. Mm. You know, I'm Huge. unbelievably a big fan of people in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s because yeah. I think they have deep context for life, but people that are 70 and above are completely getting done in our, in our ecosystem. And so I've, I've been thinking a lot about starting an incubator that is actually incubated out of a retirement home. I love it. Yeah. And so, yes. So I've always thought, you know, I came from a whole lot of little, and so I always thought I had an advantage because I think adversity is an advantage. I, so I think in general, why is it important? Because you'll do better <laughs> if you have a divorce, diverse team. Yeah. yeah. We're yeah. so interconnected yeah. now. If we're not representing the entire stakeholder environment at the very top, you're vulnerable. We're screwed. You're That's vulnerable. It. Yeah. That's it. Well, in addition to that, I just wanted to add, I'm also concerned about like who's programming this AI. If it's not from a diverse crowd of people who are div- uh, program, we're not going to get every, you know, the protocols that are needed to represent what we want. This it's is one dimension. This is way more important than people think. I'll give you the comp in real life. Everything for a long time was just made for righties. What about lefties, Yeah. right? Yeah. And so people may hear that and it may not understand, but if you're a, who's a lefty out there? <laughs> up, right? <laughs> you know, and so I think it's an important issue. Yeah. Neil, we want to leave you out of this conversation. I 100% agree with everybody. And if we actually brought up a really critical point, because you've already seen with some AI solutions, there's inadvertent bias in the training. 100%. Right? You look at Google Vision. I know those guys didn't mean to do it, but it was really good at recognizing white men and not so much anybody else because it was built and trained by white men. And I think as we're moving forward, as we become more integrated in our lives and it's gonna start doing more to assist us with decision making, making sure that training is as bias-free as possible has the multi-perspective is gonna be critical. I can tell you that in my work with the United Nations, in the span of about six months, a lot of the world leaders went from, is this a Skynet type of thing to, we need robot judges. Robot judges are going to reduce bias in the court system, help more people, that kind of stuff, but it all boils down to that training. And without the right diversity, we're going to keep making those same mistakes. That's great. You guys, great. I cannot tell you what an important topic this is, so thank you. Yeah. That is near and dear to my heart. So, guys, I want to shift gears just a little bit and take a, a, a time trip back with me. Everybody on this stage is a product of the third digital revolution. We grew up with microelectronics revolution, digital information technology, information systems. It's foundationally changed everybody here. You roll the clock back 40, 50 years, we had just landed on the moon. The idea of private rockets was ridiculous unless you were building them in your backyard. There were no microwave ovens. There were no smartphones. There were no cell phones. The internet as we know it wasn't invented. In fact, its predecessor ARPANET only started in 1983. Stem cells, nobody even knew what the genome was at that time. So I want you to put your thinking hats on and tell me, as we move to the precipice of this fourth digital revolution, right, we are seeing unprecedented technology. 
We have quantum computing coming, which changes everything. Possible nuclear fusion as a power source. We now have robotics, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and more computational power on a phone that Gary pulled out of his pocket than used to run universities. That's right. So, play it forward to 2050. Neil, I'm going to start at this side with you because you, you, this is your job. This is where you live. That's what you do for right? a living. Plus, we, we got the same haircut. I like the way <laughs> right? you thought, this, this was planned, by the way. Yeah, right here. Beautiful so, so Neil, t tell me and tell this crowd what you think we can expect. I, I, I will tell you, we're moving so fast, it's really difficult. If I were to wind the clock back just 10 years, who would have predicted something like Uber? Never. <laughs> right? I think if we go to 2050, what's going to happen? I could, I'm going to throw it out there and say one word, cyborgs. This is not about personal <laughs> yeah. assistance or anything. We're already seeing a big move towards human-computer integration. They've already done like a experimental surgery. They could put digital cameras under a blind person's eyes and transmit the image so they can see. I think 2050 will be cyborgs. Vu? Uh, I'm already into that now. Um, <laughs> I, I, I look at us being able to have um, not only cyborgs here on Earth, but doing stuff in, on other planets. Uh, I already started my own embryo portfolio so that I could have my own progeny in Mars when we start doing that. Uh, I think that's the future. Uh, my own one concern is that when the cyborgs come, that we'll, there will be less human interaction interaction, like I won't need a man anymore because I'll have my own sex robot, you know? Sex robots are going to be amazing. I'll always be <laughs> just, just jokes, just joking. Uh, uh, but I think there will be a lot of training needed for us to uh, interact with humans. <laughs> so th that job will be available. <laughs> Gary, your thoughts? I, hope, I think sex robots are going to be amazing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. The going to leave their <laughs> home. Um, I, so I'm not super like passionate about the Nostradamus business. Yeah, yeah. You know, I there's a lot of things that we're going to be close on. There's going to be a billion things that we could never even think about. Um, you know, for me, what stands out is. <sighs> What I'm fascinated by technology is I think it's throwing us back. If you ask me the best indicator of where we'll be in 2050, I think things that we were doing in the 17 and 1800s play out. Let me give you an example. Let me give you the one that really stands out for me. What, what social media has done is it's allowed us to know much more about each other than we ever could before at scale, which was far more similar to what was happening in the old days when your little community was your whole world and you did know everything about everybody. Massive extension of the Vienna Circle. A hundred percent. I think one of the more interesting things to think about in 2050 and maybe 2100 is I think things that we've put on pedestal, religions, marriages, uh, are going to become dramatically more vulnerable. Uh, I, I think that the shadows of our society are being exposed by technology. There's nowhere to hide. And I think most of the institutions that we hold near and dear are actually built up by the shadows of our society. And so I think this gets a lot more emotional than people think. I actually hope that we become a lot less hypocritical once we realize that we all have 
skeletons and we all have massive flaws which will then allow us to have a hundred years of pain which will then lead to a hundred years of nirvana. Woo, I like that idea. I like that. So Common, you want to bring this one home for me? You can see it absolutely everywhere. I mean, look, you're asking the person that probably least has um, the ideas of where we'll be in 2050. I I am a person that likes to stay in the present, but if I do think of (laughs) I have an album called B, and that was about being in the present, just being present, right? But if I do have to think about the future and, and I would, what I would like to see AI and technology bring is maybe we have a cure for cancer through, through, through technology. Um, and, and as we talked about earlier, maybe it'll be healthier foods being put in neighborhoods that don't get healthy foods because of technology. And maybe... We could even use technology to advance rehabilitation, as I talked about in prisons. I'm just talking about dreams I got, right? Maybe technology will help bring us together more as people, and and love will be the center of it, and technology will just be a tool of it. I believe that. So those are the things that I dream of in my dream world, because I'm a dreamer. But right now, I'm going to stay in the present. I'm grateful to be here with you brilliant people. Beautiful, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This has been an insane panel. We could talk all night, I think. I think we can all agree to that, but all good things have to come to an end. And a huge round of applause for our guests. Hey guys, I hope you really enjoyed this episode of the Gary Vee Experience. Now go out and share this, pass it on, let me know what you thought.